Good morning. Glad you came back after last week. I'm sort of surprised. Glad you're here. I'm going to jump right in. Um, if you're visiting with us, I'm really glad you're here. I usually have more pleasantries than this, but I got a lot of sermon today, so I got to get moving. I'm, we're really thankful you're here if you're visiting with us. I want you to know that you've jumped right in on the end of a 30-something week um, sermon series called The Story, where we've gone through the entire story of, um, of, uh, of the world and of what God has for us. And... Uh, we are today in the book of Revelation, and I am nervous again. We, uh, if you were here last week, you went through what was sort of a marathon of a sermon. I put it online, and it was like 56 minutes, something like that, last week. Um, thank you. Turn the heat up. I'm about to do the same. <laughs> um, then, uh, so last week we went through like, like a, a long sermon setting up the book of Revelation, it's a, it's a really symbolic, really kind of a, if you just look at it without really digging in, it, it can be just scary and sort of insane. Um, and so we talked last week um, about, it kind of set up the whole story, and I'm going to dig a little deeper this week. What I, I, I normally, when I'm in a sermon series like this, I like to kind of backtrack. If you weren't here last week, I like to kind of try to catch you up. I'm not going to do a lot of that this week because I have so much to move forward with, I don't want to go backward very much. So I'll do that just a tiny bit, but if you weren't here last week, please jump on the website and listen to the sermon. Um, it may take you, you know, a couple segments to listen to it because it's a long sermon. Um, but, uh, but that will kind of catch you up with where we're at. I, uh, before we pray this morning, I, I kind of want to let you know where my heart is. I like to do that just to be real open with you. I, I got up this morning and I prayed about this sermon like I do every Sunday morning, and I prayed that that God would take some of the anxiety that I have away, because I'm pretty nervous about this sermon series. The Revelation thing is weird, and it's scary, and it's a lot of my opinion involved, um, because we don't know a whole lot about firm, exact truths, and I think that's intentional from God. So I'm trying to be real careful with that. And I got up this morning, and I was anxious, and I was, was just praying, hey, God, just, just make this fun for me. Just make it fun like it sometimes can be when I get up to preach. I, get, I just have a lot of fun. And... I, I prayed and I opened the Bible and I turned to the very last page of the Bible in Revelation, okay, the book that we're reading right now. The very last page, very last paragraph says this, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Let me say that again. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. I'm going to give you a little pause here. If you want to get up and go, you can <laughs> If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Amen. <laughs> so I said, well, God, that's exactly what I had in mind this morning. To make me have fun with this, but I, I want you to know that's the weight that God puts on this message this morning. What you hear this morning is so important to God that he is warning me, as the person who's teaching, not to add anything to this and not to take anything away from it. It's real easy for me to stand up here and the parts that are hard, the parts that are scary, the parts that are weird for me to skip over real quick and then just hit the parts that are fun and the ones that give you cold chills and the ones that I can, make, I can think of a story that my kids relate to and we can all leave and feel good. But according to Revelation, if that happens, I got locusts in my future. So I'm just going to bring it today. But I, I want to remind you the, the first sentence, I warn everyone who hears the word. The warning today is, is not just in hearing it, it's in hearing it and walking away just like you are. The Bible makes it real clear that if we continue to hear the word of God and we walk away the same, it develops in us this hard heart for God and that is dangerous. So I'm going to start my sermon that way this morning 
Because the, there's the gravity in this, the weight in this is enormous. And I, I, I need for you to be on the same page with, with what I'm feeling this morning. And so before we move any further, I want to pray together. I want to hit hard um, and, and just pray that God would kind of soften our hearts this morning. If you're, if you're here today, and some of you, I see this in you. I shook hands with you. I did, I did the hug thing with you. And sometimes I can feel the hug is right. It's, it's hard to explain. I can feel the hug is right. And sometimes I feel it's like I'm hugging you because I have to. I'm here because my wife drugged me here. I'm here because I feel guilty about not being here. I, hear, I don't know why you're here today, but I'm going to give you an opportunity right now before we listen to the word this morning to be here for the right reason, and that is to get a word from God. So let's just get right. Let's take a deep breath, and let's let God speak into us this morning. God, I take that warning in this, this room. We take that warning seriously this morning. We know that the same God who loves us desperately, who has been so kind to us, who has been so good to us, who has so much peace and love and joy in store for us, that same God also cannot tolerate unrighteousness, unholiness. And so we take seriously the things you take seriously. And God, I'm praying right now that anything I've prepared, and I've got so much material up here, I don't even know what this is going to end up like today. But you do, and I am praying right now with everything I have that I won't add to or take away from anything that is in this piece of Scripture, that you would pull off of the pages of Revelation the things that are pertinent to our lives, the things that we need to know, the things that we need to drive home into our children and into our communities so that we can be the people that you want us to be, so that we can be prepared for what's next. We believe that this Bible that we've been looking through, that this story is not Huckleberry Finn, it's not a good movie, it's not a good, that this is the story of us, it's the history of who we are and it's the future of who we're going to be and what you have for us. So would you make it real to us today? Would you bring faith into this building? Would your spirit dwell in this place so hard and so obviously that we stagger away from this place? with a word from the Creator in your Son's name. Amen. Okay, so here's what we did. Last week, we jumped right into the story of Revelation. And if you're new to the book of Revelation, or if, you, if you're like me, and you're a Christian who has avoided the book of Revelation because it seems scary, then I, I want you to hit this head on. What we did last week is we, we read this. We read the first chapter, verse 1. It says this, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things he saw. Blessed is he, you and me, who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. For the time is near. Last week I kind of put a sandwich board up here and stood up here on a soapbox and said the time is near turn and um, it was a strange feeling for me I actually I don't normally do this but I listened to my own sermon this week as much as I can um, and uh, was convicted by it because I, I really feel like what God did last week was just kind of he did his thing I, I got prepared and then he said his thing and that's what I'm praying he does this week I've got so much material I have so much stuff up here that there's no way I can get it all in your face today. So I'm praying that I get out the things that are most important to God. But I got to let you know that on Wednesday this week at six o'clock in this building right here, I'm going to come back if Jesus doesn't come back first. And um, I'm going to be in here and we're going to talk about the things that we've talked about so far in a more in-depth way. If you want to come, it's going to be relaxed. Um, we won't have childcare. I'm just going to be clear. I have not organized this very much. It's just me and a Bible and you. Bring a notebook, bring your curiosity. You need to know right up front that I may answer a lot of questions unsatisfactory, like I don't know, and I'll get back to you on that. But we're going to come, and we're just going to bring all of our questions. I'm going to talk about heaven and hell. Yep. I'm going to talk about uh, the, the end of time. I'm going to talk about some of the things that uh, are confusing and some of the things I don't have time to talk about today. So please, if you can, make time to be here. I'd love to pack it full of this again. I'll be a little more casual. We'll sit down front, and we'll just dig in. But until then, I've got a message today that starts with a picture that we painted last week. And I want to paint it again real quick for those of you who weren't here last week, and especially even those 
for those of you who were here last week who may have forgotten this picture, I want to remind you of the scene that's set. John, who is in prison, gets this vision from God. And we said last week that, that John has a, a history of following and being faithful to God. And he gives, them a, he gives John a picture of the end of the world, a revelation, an apocalypsis, as the Greek calls it, um, of the, the end of the world, what it's going to look like when things are, uh, are coming to an end. And people have been asking that question for centuries. And God begins to paint that picture with very significant symbolism, very significant numbers. But some of those things, and I said this last week, some of those things we won't understand understand and you need to hear me say and I said it a lot last week that there are some times where I am just given my best guess at this thing and you can go out and read 25 different commentators who all say different things about some of these symbols and you can know at those points that some of those things God just doesn't intend for us to completely understand we can guess we can try and I'm going to probably tell you that when, when I'm guessing and when I feel like here's my best guess I'm going to say this is my opinion it's fun it's exciting I love doing that but you need to know that some of this stuff is a matter of opinion in the way we interpret it. Um, in this throne room, John sees, first he says, I see a rainbow. And we, I want to remind you that the rainbow, all the way through the story and all the way through the scripture, we saw one yesterday in Bloomington. It was kind of cool. Um, it was right over Walmart area, which means absolutely nothing. Um, but, um, yeah, the promise is that prices are low, I guess. Uh, no, but the, pro- the, uh, the promise was it, throughout the story that when you see a rainbow, it reminds you of the promise that God will never again destroy everything on the earth with a flood. He'll never again completely devastate everything again. So one of the very first things John sees is that no matter how bad this thing gets, and you're going to hear today, things are going to get bad. Um, and I'm going to get into detail with how bad they're going to get today. It's going to be fun, Kyle. Um, and, but no matter how bad things are going to get, there's a promise that redemption is near, that God has this redemption. So that's that rainbow. Four living creatures, a lion, a calf, a man, and an eagle, have eyes all over them and six wings apiece. Told you it was weird. These are crazy, weird beings. But in heaven, this is normal. Where God is, this is normal. If they came to earth, they'd be like, man, you guys are weird. You only have one set of eyes. Um, the, the, the beasts have eyes and wings, and, and they, they all worship God. The lion, the calf, the man, and the eagle. These beings have the faces of those different things. I believe, and this is what I said last week, I believe that they represent all the different categories of life that God's given us. Um, the lion is wild animals. The calf is domestic animals, which includes my dog. Um, he still poops on the floor, so I don't know how domestic he is, but he is considered to be a domestic animal. A man, which is different than everybody else, and an eagle, which is birds when they are just different and these are all the categories that are around God and all of them worship him he is the center of everything we talked about last week that it's a theocentric universe it's God center theo means God centric means the middle it is God is in the middle and everything is pointing to God and we said last week that what we do in our lives is meocentric we take God out of the middle and we put us in the middle and what we said last week and I, I can prove this just by emails and Facebook messages I've seen this week from people, that when we put us in the middle of our lives, when we are the most important thing, when everything points at us, it makes your soul sick. Because it wasn't the way everything was intended to be. It wasn't the way you were intended to be. You were intended to have God in the middle of your life. And whether you're here today and you believe in God or whether this is just something you do on Sundays or whatever, if you don't put God in the center of your life, if you're not pointing everything you do at God, your soul will be sick and it leads to symptoms that you don't want. And the reason is because it's not the way things were intended to be. So we see this picture of uh, of everything centered to God. 24 elders, um, all these men who we think, I think, maybe could have been 12 depo- the 12 apostles plus the, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, the leaders of the 12 tribes, um, all around God. And then the sea of glass, which had this great picture last week of the sea of glass that is completely still. And God hurls our sins into it stomps them out, and they they go into the sea, and they disappear. There's no sign. There's no ripples. There's nothing left. They're gone. And we said last week, some of us are deep sea fishing, looking for that stuff. Again, and God's going, it's gone. It's over. So we have the sea of glass. And then finally, the scroll of destiny with seven seals. And this is where things get really weird. And we're going to dig into six of those seven seals today. Okay? We're going to talk about what they mean, how they react to our lives today, and what they mean for us today. But I want to remind you that this is the scene for what's happened next. Everything is centered around God. God is the head. We don't really have a picture of God. Um, But what it reminds me of is when Risha and I are driving through Chicago. 
Um, it's one of our favorite things to do. I, I know some people say they want to retire and live in the mountains somewhere. I want to retire. I, Risha wants to retire and live downtown Chicago. She loves, I know you don't like it, she loves to be able to walk everywhere. She, lo- she just loves being downtown Chicago. So we'll vacation every now and then and go to Chicago. And when we go, she likes to just drive into the, the rich areas, you know. Um, and th- there's, they're all over Chicago. You just drive. And you go into these suburbs, and these houses are just ridiculous. And we drive into these neighborhoods, and it'd just be like a gate in front of it. Then you look up, and there's this huge driveway with all the stuff and huge building. And the very first question she always asks, I love to watch her. The very first question she always asks is not, I wonder how much the house is worth. I wonder, it's this. I bet you know it. I wonder who lives there. Who could be so rich? Who could be so important? Because where you live says something about you, doesn't it? In our culture, in our community, in who we are. The idea is that we would look at where God lives. That we would look at this crazy, ornate place that everything is alive and everything is pointed toward Him and go, wow, who lives here? That you would get this sense of awe. This sense of incredible awe for who God is. And in the midst of all that, John says he sees the right hand of God. So we know God has a right hand. That's really the best description we have of God so far. We see the right hand of the one who sits on the throne holds out a scroll. And a a scroll is just a piece of paper rolled up. This is the way they did books at this time. A scroll with seven seals across it. And the idea of the seals are that that whoever has written this has said this needs to be read by somebody very important. By one specific person. And this specific person has to open those seals. Normally, you would write on the scroll and then you would put one wax seal on it. And the person that was intended for the scroll to be read would break that seal. And it was one person that could break that seal. In this case, there were seven seals. And what we said, and don't think like the animal seal, think like the wax seal, okay? We're not talking these animals here. Hey, Revelation can do anything. It could have been the weird seals. These are wax seals um, that would have been very, very common in this day and age to seal this piece of paper. So you think, why seven? And we talked about this last week, that the number seven throughout the Bible is symbolic for completion. It's symbolic for things are finished. This is the end. And so when you see that number seven, you can, the, the writer and the reader, John, uh, and, and the readers at the time, would have felt like, okay, this is it. It's seven seals. This is the end. This is the beginning of the end. And so... God holds out this, this thing, and he says, Who's, who can read this? And heaven goes silent. Nobody on heaven or earth is worthy of reading this. And John says he wept. And not only did he weep, but he, it was like this, the Greek's word for this, like, throw up, ugly crying, you know? You've seen people cry like that when things are really bad. They just completely lose control. And this is his, his word for that. He completely lost control. And it feels weird, but the, the thought is this, that he wants the end. He wants what's next. He wants things to be completed. You do too. Many of you do too. Many of you go, I can't live, I don't want to be stuck like this. There's too much pain. There's too much stuff. I talked to somebody today who's got medical problems and all kinds of issues. And it's just like family member here, family member here, friend here, friend here. Everybody's got these issues and we're going, this can't be it, right? And that's what John is weeping for. Who is worthy to end this? mess and make it what God intended for it to be and finally Jesus Jesus is worthy and he takes the scroll and at this point in the story things get harsh they get hard they get um, really hard to understand at times but one of the things you get is a deep dark air of destruction on earth and we're going to dig into it right now Okay, here we go. I don't usually preach like this, but, um, but part of the reason I am right now is because I think this is something we don't ever understand. Normally the way I preach is I take a piece of scripture and I try to apply it to exactly what you're going through today. I don't do a whole lot of just digging through a scripture and telling you what it means. Today I'm doing a little bit differently. We're going to talk about what these symbols mean and, and what I believe they mean and what scholars believe they mean and how they affect our lives. But I want to start with a prediction that Jesus makes about this whole thing. While he was on the earth... Everybody was doing, all the people that were close to him were doing what you and I do. They were, they were going, how's this thing going to end? Now, some of you, if you feel like me and you, have, you don't have the gift of faith, every now and then you read something like this and you're like, really? 
Am I, am I supposed to believe about the angels and the wings and the eyes and all that stuff? Am I supposed to believe that stuff? And, and the truth is, yeah. But, but Jesus, while he was on the earth, he, he starts to, to put some real flesh on this for people. He starts to really kind of give, it some, some, give people ideas of when the end is going to come. And the guys that are closest to Jesus take a great opportunity while God is on earth to go, hey, what's it going to look like? When can we expect it? And when they do, Jesus says some things that I really think give us some insight on what the end of the world is going to look like. And he starts in Mark chapter 13, verse 3. Check this out. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, opposite of the temple, so he's looking at the temple, the place where people worship God, Peter, James, and John, Andrew asked him privately, so they're all kind of sitting around, tell us, when will these things happen, these end times? And what will be the sign that they were about to be fulfilled? How will we know that this thing has started? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Now, we're going we're gonna to come back to that in a second. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. We're going to see throughout this whole book of Revelation that there is a beast called the Antichrist. Anybody heard of the phrase the Antichrist? You thought it was in the Bible? That word is not in the Bible. There is no such word as the Antichrist in the Bible. It's a, it's a word that we've made up in English to describe what the Bible refers to really as a beast. Um, and we're going to talk about what that means. But the Antichrist, and the reason we've called him the Antichrist is he, was, he, is, the, he is the opposite of Christ. The anti means opposite. He's the opposite of Christ. But I don't even really love that phrase because he actually will come and look like Christ in a lot of ways. And Jesus says this will happen in the end times. That people will come and they will look like me. They will sound like me. They will come in the name of peace. They will at first seem to be really philanthropic. They will help people. They will love people. They will say incredible things. And then things will start to come out. See, this is what the enemy has done from the beginning of time. He has always pretended to be God. He wants to be God. Remember that? That's why he and God are at odds. Because he wants to be God and there's only one. That's why Satan is, and God are at odds. And he, so he's pretending all the time to be God. This is why, this is a side note, but this is why you and I have this, and when we go back to that room to pray, I hear it all the time. You go, this could be God and th- this decision that I'm making. It could be God and it could be Satan. Why is that? Why do we feel like sometimes it could either be God or it could be evil? The, the reason is because the evil one likes to pretend to be God. And if we're not close to God, we mistake, mistaken him for what God is. And in the end times, when this thing starts to happen, there will be people, probably, that rise up, that start to look like God. They may even start to act like God. We may even start to think, I want to follow them because they feel like a God thing to me. They may be religious leaders. It's a scary thing. And Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. Good thing, huh? Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom will rise against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings. Now, wake up for a second, because you need to hear this. This is a huge part of the story of Revelation. Jesus calls the end of the world a birth pain, a birth. It's almost like what Jesus is saying, and what people would have heard this, is that God is giving birth. The world is giving birth to the end of times. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. Now, those of you, raise your hand if you've had a baby. I don't want to see one man raise a hand. I don't mean if you have raised a baby. I mean if you have birthed. Okay, let me tell you this. You know what this means. What this means is you're going to, just like when you're pregnant, Allison, right now, in the next few weeks, Allison's going to be going, is this it? I've been there. I, I mean, not where you are. I've been watching it going, is this it? You go, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? Is this it? And then one day you go, this is it. <laughs> right? This is why Jesus talks to us this way. Because we know what that feels like. He says, this is what the end of the world is going to be like. People are going to be saying, and you're going to be saying, is this it? Is this it? Uh Uh-oh. I feel a little bit of a thing down there. Is this it? 
Oh, there's a little bit of destruction. There's a little bit of weird weather. There's a little bit of signs at the end of the times. Is this it? Is this it? Is this it? And one day, and I don't know how soon, one day, all of creation, all the animals, all the humans, all the people that right now don't believe in God, all the people that wonder if there's a God, all the people who are against God, all the Satanists, all the people in the earth, all its center at one time will go, this is it. It's time for the end. Now you get that? Because this is really important. This is a really important part of the way Jesus and God talk about the end of the times. We don't know. We don't know right now, but when it comes time, we'll know. The water will break and things will change. You need to know that. It, when Jesus talks about the birth pains, he's talking about the, the events in our world, in our history, that are leading up to what Christians call the Great Tribulation. Okay? The Great Tribulation is a time on earth where things are so bad that it is obvious, it's becoming obvious that, that God is who he says he is. Okay? Now, this is where, I told you I would do this, this is where my interpretation of the Bible comes in, and it, you can go out and, and I can give you commentaries, and you're welcome to look at them. I am taking what I believe to be all the smartest people I can find and compiling them and coming up with my own uh, feeling about this, so I need you to know that, and I'll talk to you more about that on Wednesday. I'll just give you flat out my opinion on these things, but I can tell you this, I disagree with almost every preacher I grew up listening to. I disagree with a lot of Christians when it comes to this, and you can form your own opinion. So I just want to be real clear about that before we move forward, because what I believe is coming next is I believe when, the, when, when it comes time, and the world knows, when the baby's coming, when there's no question, the water is broke, the baby's coming, it's not a matter of should we go to the hospital, it is time to go. When the world feels that, everyone will feel that. And even the last worst most awful person in the world, even the person that has been farthest from God, will look up to the heavens and go, I have been wrong. This is a mess. My neighbor was right. My grandma was right. I should have been baptized at camp. I, all those feelings will start to come into these people. Now, at that point, they won't all make a decision to just flock to Jesus, but some will at that moment. Okay, now that statement in and of itself could have got me kicked out of my Bible college, let me tell you. Because there is a whole faction of Christians, and, and I, I, honestly, the Bible isn't clear completely about this. So if you believe this, then I, I, we're on the same team here, okay? We're just trying to figure this out. But there are a whole lot of Christians who believe at that point, when the end time is near, is, that's it. They're, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're done. Sorry, you're out. Now, I, I have a hard time with that. Because what Jesus said is that I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. And if you will just open the door, I will come in. I believe that fervently. I've preached it fervently. I walked through that door. I've helped people walk through that door. And I can't in my mind and in my heart imagine a God and a Jesus who says, I stand at the door and knock until April 12, 2015. And then you can knock all you want and I'm not answering. I can't, I, I don't read that in the Bible. I don't see that in the Bible. That doesn't jive with the way I see God. I believe at that point, now we're talking eschatology now. This is end time stuff. At that point, when it's time, when we know, and I don't know what that's going to be. I don't know exactly how we're going to know. But pregnant people, pregnant moms know. You just know the world is going to know. And at that point, it's going to be awful, and it's going to be a day of reckoning, but it could also be the biggest revival the world has ever known. Okay, all that said, we're jumping into this. So when that happens, what we're getting a picture of right now is that that, that moment we're leading up to is each one of these seals, as they break off, they unleash a new end-of-the-world apocalyptic phenomenon. This is where it gets real interesting and scary. Check this out. We see these, these uh, seven seals, remember, on this thing. And by the time we get to that seventh seal and we open up this scroll, we're going to read what the scroll says. It's the end of the world, and it's, by that time, everybody knows, okay? And here's why. Seal number one. The first four seals on this 
scroll are referred to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Okay? If you've ever watched a movie where somebody's made fun of that, it won't be funny, let me tell you. But you, it's in our movies, it's in our culture, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. This is what they're referring to, the first four seals that are broken that unleash the end of time. Okay? The first one is the, a white horse. Now, some people think that this white, the rider on the white horse, they all have riders and uh, these horses are all different colors. If you love horses, you're going to love heaven because the horses are awesome and they're different colors apparently. Um, the, uh, these horses are uh, a, white, a white rider and a white horse. For some reason, I picture him with like a Lone Ranger white hat on. I don't know why. It could be Jesus. Some people believe this, that this rider symbolizes Jesus. Some people believe that this rider symbolizes the Antichrist, somebody pretending to be Jesus. I, this is my opinion. I told you we were going there. My opinion is this doesn't symbolize Jesus because Jesus hasn't yet opened the seventh seal. It's not quite, it doesn't make sense to me. The, that this isn't Jesus and this isn't the Antichrist. I believe that this is re- referring, look at this, that this is referring to the gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus. Look at this. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals and heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow and a crown, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer as we talk about this, and we'll talk about this on Wednesday, and I'll dig a little bit deeper, the Bible references the gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus, and if that sounds churchy to you, the gospel just means the good news, the message that Jesus died, rose from the cross, or, uh, rose from the grave, and that, uh, that you and I can accept him and have eternal life um, and be where he is forever. That good news, the Bible says, will reach all nations before the time is near. Now, a hundred years ago, our world was in a completely different place. But in the past few decades, with the invention of the internet and satellite, almost all the world has had an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus. We're getting close. But the Bible makes it clear that all the nations will hear the words and the name Jesus and will get the good news before the end of the world. I believe this is the writer finishing, conquering that job, and that that will be the end. Okay, so... That's the first one. Now, that one wasn't scary at all, but it's getting worse. Second seal is this. This is the red horse. The red horse, the second horseman of the apocalypse. Um, When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. You didn't think there's peace now, did you? (laughs) It's going to get worse. He's going to take peace from the earth. And that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. Many people believe that this is sort of a civil war. This is us turning against each other. Now, I want to stop here because I'm seeing this kind of either, I don't know what I'm seeing, scared, bored, something. But I want to stop here for a second because I want to let you know that there are a number of things that will help you visualize some of this. Um, There is a book, a series called Left Behind. Anybody? Yes. I have the entire series. I've read it two or three times. Fantastic book. Again, he does the same thing. Bridges does it. Bridges? What's his name? Can't remember. Does the exact same thing that I that I just said. I make some of this stuff is in my head. Some of this stuff I'm getting from scripture, but as opinion. But I, I read some of this stuff and I think about that book. I don't know if you if you read through that series. It's a whole series of books called Left Behind, and it's about what happens at the end. And in the end, during this phase, they're 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 in a cave. They're scared. They know it's the end. Those who have who have received Jesus since. It was obvious that the birth pains are coming, are now looking up and they're, they're reading the Bible because now they're taking it seriously. That's one of the things that's so funny to me. They've heard this their whole life and they didn't listen to it. And now that they really believe there's a God, now they're like, they're not leaving this Bible. It's everywhere they are because now this is what's going to happen. And they look at it and just as they look at it, a red horse flies over. And real quickly they go, what's this mean? What's this mean? What's this mean? And they start looking at each other and all of a sudden war starts coming up. Creepy, isn't it? I got cold chills. It could be because it's 51 degrees in here, Rick. Um, So the red horse is the second seal, okay? So imagine these seals popping up, and as these seals pop off, here's what I believe. I want you to picture this, and I, I would love to have a discussion about this on Wednesday. As these seals open, God opens them slowly, and the, the earth gets worse and worse, and things add to it, and it just gets worse and worse as we open these seals. But every time we open it, somebody else comes to God. 
This is, the way, this is part of what I believe the end of the story is. Now, there are people that you will read and there are preachers that will preach that the end of the world is about revenge. It's about God taking vengeance on people who haven't done what he's asked them to do. I don't see it that way. I see it as a time for God to take some revenge, but I see it as, a God, as an opportunity for God to lead people to emergency redemption. You know what I mean? My son Reese knows what I mean. He knows exactly what I mean. Because if he starts in the morning making bad choices... His punishment will get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until he has a come-to-Jesus moment. You know what I'm saying? Until he goes, I am wrong, you are right. And then he breaks down and he cries and then we snuggle on the couch. I don't know about the snuggling on the couch, but I know this. that I'm not even a good dad. I'm trying really hard. I'm working at it. And if in me it's so much mercy that I will at all costs punish my children until they find the right. I believe that's the heart of God. And I believe that as we move further into this, it's going to give more and more people that come to Jesus moment. That I, that's enough. I can't take it anymore. God, you're now in the center of my life. I don't want to see what happens with the next seal. I don't want to wait. Okay, I want you to get this impression. Because here's the, Jesus says this, that, the, 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 that this is just like childbirth. And it's getting harder. And the nurse is going, push, and it's hurting. And the mom is screaming for an epidermal. <laughs> epidermal? Epidural. <laughs> Obviously, I've never had a baby. Next slide. Seal three. This is the black horse. Revelation chapter six and five, six, five. By this time, people are scared to death. Please don't send another horse. They're reading through their Bibles. Going, obviously God is here. Nobody is sitting going, huh, I wonder if there's a God. You know how I talk about kicking the tires all the time? Nobody's kicking the tires anymore. They're all diving for Bibles. You can't find one at Barnes & Noble because this stuff is coming true and I need to see what's next. The black horse, famine and desperation. When he opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold, a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. Now this is weird. He says this, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. This means so much. We're going to talk about this on Wednesday a lot. But here's basically what he's saying. The prices of stuff are ridiculous, and people can't pay for anything. The, the food has gotten so scarce that nobody can buy it, nobody can get it, nobody can find it. And then, I love this, the angel says, Don't harm the oil and the wine. I have opinions on why they said that. Um, But I believe, shortly, I believe that it's redemption. We're not destroying everything. Remember, there's a rainbow. Leave some wine. Leave some oil. They both have medicinal properties. Leave a little bit of this stuff. We're not destroying everything. There's a rainbow here. But famine and desperation come with the black horse. I've been to Haiti. It's the hungriest place I've ever been. Never seen anything like it in my life. As a dad, I've thought I felt desperate before, but you have never felt desperate before until you have got up in the morning and realized you have no food or water for your children. You're not thinking about your 401K. You're not worried about your electric bill. You're not worried about the argument you're having with your neighbor. Your entire life is about getting food and water. It's going on on the earth right now. It's right now. Now, remember what we said. This is not going to happen all at the same time. It's going to be like childbirth. It's going to be contractions. You know that right now, as we're speaking, 2013, while I'm preaching this sermon, every two seconds, let me say it again, every two seconds on earth, someone dies of starvation. Every two seconds. Someone dies of starvation while someone else throws away a little bit of a Big Mac because they didn't want it. Someone dies of starvation and a water deprivation because someone else let the shower run to get it a little bit warmer than they like. It's already happening, folks. This is already happening. There's starvation all over our world. But at this point, when the black horse comes, it will be rampant. And with starvation comes a level of desperation in the human psyche that changes everything. It's how cannibalism got started, and we will probably return to it. It's how murder got started, and we will probably return to it. All around. Whew, that's just three horses. 
Fourth seal, here it comes. The fourth of the apocalypse. This is the scariest one to me. The fourth horse of the apocalypse is the pale horse who brings behind him death and Hades. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures saying, come and see. So I looked and behold a pale horse and in the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed him and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death and by the beasts of the earth. Now the picture of Kyle's excited now. The picture of this horse, the pale horse, the word pale in the the original language is like more of a green. It's death. This is the zombie part of the apocalypse. And Hades with it. Hades is the concept that those who are spiritually dead, those who have given their lives to the enemy, those who have given their lives over demonic forces are following this dead horse, dead, pale rider and horse. Does that give you an ugly picture yet? All right, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, so we'll... We needed it. Come on, we needed it, didn't we? I needed something funny. I think that's funny. I'm going to beat a dead horse. Anyway. So we got through the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, at this point, a good portion of the world is gone. Some people have accepted Jesus. Others have accepted Jesus and then died. We're going to find out later what happens to them and where they are and what all that is. Just hang on with me because we're going to the fifth seal. The fifth seal is one that breaks my heart. I forgot my book at home. I have a book called Jesus Freaks. Anybody ever seen this book? Love this book. It's a book called Jesus Freaks. And you open it up and it is one story after another of martyrs. If you don't know what a martyr is, a martyr is somebody who has died for their faith, who has died professing Jesus. Um, There are millions and millions of martyrs throughout history. And every time I read one of these stories, I think, how can God hold off? How can God let this happen? Well, here's when God comes back. The cries of the martyrs is the fifth seal. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which with they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood? on those who dwell on the earth. There's a picture when Cain and Abel had their fight in Genesis and the first murder took place in history. God says, he looks down and he says, the blood of your brother cries out to me. I love that thought. If you're here today and you've had someone in your family, somebody you love murdered, you've had an unjust death of some point especially those of you who have martyrs in your background. God says their blood cries out from the ground to him. And this is where he does something about it. Check this out. Then he says this, Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their followers, their fellow servants, and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Now look at what Luke says about this in chapter 18, verse 7. And look at what he says. He says, And shall God not avenge his own select who cry out day and night to him, uh, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. At this point, those who have been martyred, and if you read this book, you'll hear it, martyrs that have been stuck on a post and bled in front of millions. Those who have been burnt with oil, Throughout history, at this point, God will avenge those martyrs. I don't know what that's going to be, but it will be horrific for those who have had a part in those deaths. The sixth seal is this. World disasters. This is six. We're going to seven next week, so we're almost through. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to earth, as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the 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 kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in caves and in rocks and of the mountains. This is one of the places where I get my thought that every person on earth will now know who God is. Do you get that? There is nobody who can watch this thing and not realize that they should be scared to death, that they're in the middle of something bigger than themselves and when they're hidden in their caves, my guess is while they're hidden in their caves, they're wishing 
they had listened to their mama. They're wishing that they had gone forward when the preacher said and they felt that thing in their heart. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Okay, I don't even have a joke here to get us a deep breath, so I'm just going to give you one, all right? This is a scary time. I want you to get a, a picture of an earth that is so smoldering, it's so messed up, that there are natural disasters everywhere. And I want to remind you that we're not far from it. Okay, wake up for a second. You'll really like this. I worked hard on this, so just bear with me, will you? I worked really hard on this. I dug up all of the natural disasters I could find since last Sunday. This is just since last Sunday. Let me say that again. Just since last Sunday when we met here, here are the natural disasters that have occurred. North Korea flooding leaves 760 people homeless and kills two. Typhoon, uh, typhoon in China, 104 injured. Flooded river in India displaces many and kills 10, including nine children. Landslides in India kill six. Landslides in East Nepal kills five. Flooding causes a landslide in Colorado and hundreds of people were evacuated. Many were injured. Earthquake in Malaysia is a 6.1, claimed dozens of lives. China hit by the worst flood in 50 years. 30,000 people were affected. 10,000 people were affected by a flood in Bangladesh. Landslide in China kills 12 at least. Typhoon in the Philippines. Hurricane Eric leaves one dead and others missing in Mexico. Earthquake in India, 4.2 on the Richter. Tornado in China, many people injured, leaves homes destroyed. Earthquake in El Salvador is a 5.9. That's just since last Sunday. The birth pains have started. We're in the end times. It's only going to get worse. It might be a thousand years from now. It could be on your way home today. But it's coming. And it's getting worse. So don't be surprised when you read the news. And you th hear things go getting worse. Don't be surprised when the seasons start to blend together and it's July and it's 61 in the morning. Don't be surprised when things get strange. Don't be surprised when the world starts to act. And don't be surprised when God's word comes true because it always has throughout the story if you followed the story at all you know that there are hundreds of prophecies prophets that have come to the earth and said on behalf of god i'm telling you this is what's going to happen and that's what's happened hundreds of times it's happened not one time has one of god's prophecies not come true this one's coming true too at one point all of you even if you're bored, even if you're asleep, even if you don't care, you don't believe what I'm saying, at one point in history, you will fall before God. Philippians says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You want to do it on this side. So where's the church during all this? Where are the Christians? What happens to us? Now, this is an age-old question. Many of you are going, finally, you're getting to the question. And many of you, you're not going to like some of my answers. You're not, because I don't have definitive answers. I just don't. This is where uh, historians and preachers and all kinds of smarter people than I am have come up with words like dispensationalism. Yeah, that's a real word. Um, Premillennial, postmillennial. Um, we've got uh, pre-tribulation, post-tribulation. You can be a pre-tribulation, a pre-tribulation, pre post-millennial dispensationalist, or you can be a non-dispensational, post-millennial, pre-dispensationalist. I don't know. You can be all kinds of things if you want to be. But I can tell you this: nobody really knows. Ask me what I know. I don't know. I just don't. And I want to be very clear about this: I don't know. And the Bible isn't real clear about how much of this the people that are left on earth that have followed Jesus are going to have to endure. I can tell you what I think, though. I'm going to. I'm sure you're shocked. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. We're not staying in Revelation. We're jumping back and forth. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. When I was writing this sermon, I got through the six seals and I thought, I need comfort. I'm going to, my brothers and sisters are going to need comfort. So I decided to read this because that's what he told me to do. 
there's a promise here that we're going to be caught up in the air. Band sings a song like that. Now that'll change the way you sing it, won't you? Won't it? We're going to be caught up in the air. That's the promise. Now, if you've ever heard the word rapture, have you heard the word rapture? Not going to find it here. It's a word that we've come up with to, to describe what we think will happen. What we believe, what some people believe will happen is that Christians, when things get bad, before they get too bad, Christians will ascend. They will go the way Jesus went, up into heaven, wherever that is, however that works. Now, I, I, it's hard for me to believe. It's, it, this is a hard concept for me. Uh, when I grew up, when I was growing up, I was in a very staunch church um, where uh, the, one of the license, plate, or license tags on the back, the stickers, said, um, in case of rapture, this car will be abandoned. <laughs> and I remember thinking, is that really what I believe? That I, I will, uh, I'll just be driving around one day, and all of a sudden, <laughs> I'll be gone. I had a really hard time with that growing up. Just like, <laughs> then what happens to my car? And what about the guy behind me that's reading the text? What about the guys, what about the people left behind? And truthfully, there are a lot of questions to ask about that. Now, here's, here's where I land on it, and I've got I to gotta hurry here. Here's where I land on it. I believe that right now what God is doing is preparing his church. What I mean by his church is not New Life Christian Church, not just us. Anyone who trusts in Jesus. Now, this is going to get me in trouble again with my professor at Lincoln. But I can tell you this, I believe that those who, were, who are counted as Christians are a lot more in number than, than we give credit for. Anybody who trusts in the name Jesus is part of the church. Right now, the church is not ready for Jesus to come back. The picture, this is a whole other sermon, but the picture of Jesus coming back is that Jesus is a bridegroom and the church is a bride. And right now, we are ugly, we're out of shape, we're not tan, we got an ugly dress, we're just not ready. Now, when I got married, Risha went to the tanning booth. She lost weight. We did that slim fast thing, which was just slim slow. We, she went out. She bought the most expensive dress she's ever bought in her life. She wore it for one hour and then put it in plastic. And it, I don't know why, but we do all these things. We get ready. We, spend, we get ready. And right now, the church ain't ready for Jesus. We are no bride. And I believe part of what the tribulation is for is to get the church ready for Jesus. Now, I'll explain exactly what I mean. If you're here today and you're struggling with a sin in your life, I got your attention, didn't I? Because you are. I know it. I don't know what it is, but I am too. Something you've been trying to kick your whole life. Maybe nobody else knows about it. Something that's so deep and dark and gross and weird. Nothing you've ever read. No other sermon you've ever preached. Nothing your mama said. Nothing your wife could tell you. Nothing ever changed it. It won't go away. You've grown in other ways. That one won't go away. When the seals start popping off and the dead horses start appearing, there will be a miracle in your life. It will clean up your junk. And when it does, you'll be ready for the bride. So I don't believe before all the worst of the world comes that I'm going to be sucked out of my car. I just don't believe it because I'm not ready for the bridegroom. I'm not ready to be the bride yet. And the church globally isn't ready to be the bride yet. And I believe that there will be a time where the church is refined, where the church becomes who it's supposed to be. You know what we're trying to do here at Paragon is feed people and help people and lead people spiritually and grow people spiritually. But there's apathy out there. There's people who don't care about God. People who drop their kids off and just want us to babysit for a while. That's what we do. It's how we do it. But in that time, we will have a chance to be the church that God called us to be. And you'll either be in or out. You'll either be here for the mall or you won't. You won't be playing golf. You won't be at work. You won't be at the movie theater because there's nothing else that's important as the fire and brimstone that's coming down from, from earth and their horses are coming around and there's no time to do anything else. You've got to come and help feed people. You've got to come and rescue souls. And when you do that, the church becomes the picture of what God intended for it to be. And that can only happen if we're here in the midst of the mess. See, the problem with the church, the problem with the Christians, is that they've always wanted to be sucked out when things get bad. They've never wanted to stand in line to help during a flood in Paragon. Never! 
They've always wanted to condemn. They've never wanted to be a part. And at this point in history, God's going to go, if you want to be the church, you'll go through the hell on earth with the people that are here so that you can represent the door that is open in the kingdom. That's why I don't think there's going to be a rapture like that. (laughs) You can make up your own decision. Okay, i got to keep going. i got so much stuff up here that's just crazy. You've got to come back Wednesday because there's much more here. Um, so where's the church during tribulation? I, I think it's here. Now, I believe God will call people out. I, God's going to do what God wants to do. He might change his mind in the time, which wouldn't surprise me. But he's going to do what God wants to do. All, we, all I need to know is that I need to be getting ready as the, as the bride of Christ. And as we get closer and closer, that's going to happen. Now, there's this thing about God because... If you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're kicking the tires or you've kind of been in and out on the God thing, you're going to get a picture of God who is full of wrath and who is full of anger. And there's that truth about God. But I don't want you to leave with just that. I want you to know that this is God throughout the story. And if you've followed the story here, stick with me just a little bit longer. If you follow the story, you know that this is the pattern of God's wrath. This is how he leads us to, to the right way in our life. He, he warns us, which is part of what you're getting today. He warns us. He always gives us a warning. He's not just going to throw down on us. He's going to give us a warning. It's what he's done throughout history. He did it with Sodom and Gomorrah. He warned them, and he warned them, and he warned them. And he got to the point where he's even given in. All right, if you can find two, if you can find three, if you can find four, whatever. Finally, God, he warns them. He, Noah stood on a big block and preached to everybody around him. Everybody got warned. Everyone he could find got warned about this. They warned, 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 warned. God warns them before that. He removes the righteous. He does. He removes the righteous somehow. Once things get so bad, and this is why I believe, I, I don't know what the rapture is going to be, but at some point, at some point, and we, we see it, you're going to hear that a little bit next week, at some point the righteous will be taken to heaven. The righteous will be taken to heaven. And this is one of those things where uh, we're, we'll have to talk about it next week. Um, and then finally he, he brings some serious, serious judgment. But here's the goal every time. Every time he punishes, every time things get hard, every th- time things are awful on earth, every time God sends down his smite, it leads to redemption. It leads to the, op- the opportunity for redemption because love wins. Now, this is the worst thing in the world. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to the world. And you heard me say it. I believe this could also be the greatest revival the world has ever known. Look at James chapter 2, verse 13. And then make sure you write this down when you send me an email hating me about what I'm about to say, okay? Because make sure you read this scripture. This is not my idea. This is coming from God. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. But look at that last line. Mercy triumphs over judgment, even in the end. Even in the end. Now, I've been asked this question a lot. I'm almost done. In fact, man, you guys can come up been asked this question a lot about heaven and hell and we're going to cover that over the next few weeks and i'm probably going to actually be forced to give my opinion finally um and uh you're probably going to hear it in the next few weeks but here's what i believe about the end times here's what i believe about what god the way god does things is that uh, god's telling a story we know that well the end of that story you know it's been so amazing this whole story god created people he loves them so desperately he punishes them so that they be, they they move in the right direction and we go through this he finally he finally just says i got to go down there and he sends jesus and then he dies on the cross so all the stuff that we messed up with is forgiven and we can live forever with him and then the way that i learned this story please pay attention here because you got to hear the end of this the way that i heard the story and the way many Christians are telling the end of this story is that after all of that, after the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ, after the peace, the hope and joy after, offered from the Father, after Jesus calling him and telling us to call God the Father, Abba, Daddy, after all of that, the end of the story is that billions of people die and live in hell for eternity? That's not a good story. That got your attention, didn't it? I'm asking questions this morning. Does God get what he wants? The God of the universe, the one who created everything, does he get what he wants? The Bible says God wants all men, all men to come to him. Now, somebody's going to send me an email and say this morning, you said everybody's going to heaven. 
That's not where I'm going with this. What I'm saying is, as a good dad, the door doesn't shut. In fact, the end of Revelation, I shouldn't do this. I'm going to sneak ahead and tell you, though. The end of Revelation, there's a painting of, or a picture of the city, the new city, the new earth. Everything is different. I was talking to our kids about it yesterday. They were in the car, and, 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 and Reese opened up about this, and he said, will Bogey be in heaven? And we talked about that. And I said, not only will Bogey be in heaven, he won't poop on the carpet anymore. And, you know, we'll, we'll, there's no bad choices, and there will be light. All the life God has given us will be all the life he's created will be restored and the, the earth will be different. And at that point in history, Revelation says this, when the smoke settles, when everything is clear, when all of this is over, the gates of the city will never be closed. I worship a God who makes love wind, win at the end of the story. I believe it. I believe fervently that what God wants for you today, right here, right now, desperately wants for you, more than anything, more than your 401k, more than a good wife, a good husband, a new baby, more than anything, what he wants most from you is to choose to put him in the middle, the way things really are. When you do that, it changes everything, and he knows it. And what he wants most from you right now is to do that. If you choose not to today, things may get worse for you. You may experience a hell on earth. It's all because love wins. I'm going to give you a chance today to put God in the center of your life, where He belongs. And don't be surprised, if you choose not to, that things might get uncomfortable. To put your, don't today put your head in the sand like an ostrich. I almost see it out there, heads like this. Don't put your head in the sand and ignore what comes to the end of your story. Be ready. I'm going back to the back today. And I, I, I want you to get all this in your heart and in your head today. Come back on Wednesday. Let's dig a little deeper. And begin to formulate. Begin to be ready. Reese asked me a question that ended up in a 15-minute conversation. It was the first time I've ever got a chance to tell him about heaven. Yesterday. Be ready. And the reason I was ready is because I had a sermon to preach. I'm not sure if I'd have been ready to talk to him about it. Be ready to talk to your kids. Be ready to answer this question in your own mind when things get hard. And today, open your heart and mind because love wins. Would you stand with us and sing this morning?